1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
2: KLWN. Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We have a special guest who's going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, Bill Whittemore. The former KU quarterback going to join us and coming up in about 35 minutes right now. Also a special guest, special each and every week. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star will join us. The Chiefs, couple opportunities to maybe improve a defense that ranks 31st in the NFL in points allowed per game. First one already missed out on. Stephon Gilmore was released. That was a big surprise by the New England Patriots. He's on the PUP list, the physically unable able to perform list. So he's not going to be able to play till I think, week seven. But you're talking about a guy who won defensive player of the year three years ago, two years ago at the corner position. Chiefs could obviously use that. Um, he was supposed to be released today unless the Patriots found a last-minute trade partner. And it seemed like that wasn't going to happen because if somebody traded for him, you incur his in entire uh, uh, salary structure outside of the guaranteed money and the dead money that the Patriots would owe him and that'd be a lot of money. If you just get him in free agency, maybe you can bring him on for a one-year cheap veteran deal, uh, let himself prove his worth, and then he gets a big deal in the offseason. And it seemed like the Packers were the favorite if that would have happened, but you never know, and I don't even know if the Chiefs could have afforded him. They don't have that much money even available, but again, if you get them to want to prove a deal, maybe you would have been able to do that. Ends up, the Carolina Panthers say, hey, instead of letting you go sign wherever you want, how about we trade for you? How about we get a good corner? And even though we're going to have to pay kind of a premium price for it, all we have to do is give up a sixth-round pick. We get him. We add him to our secondary. We think we've got a pretty good team this year. We were 3-0. and Our first loss came to Dallas last week. Another good team by one score. Let's make a move for it. The question I have: Should the Chiefs have made that move? Should the Chiefs have given up a sixth-round pick for Stephon Gilmore?
0: Well, I, I can't miss an opportunity to pun like this. Uh, he was on the PUP list. The Chiefs' defense is just on the PU list. Oh, hey, got him. Uh, so they're terrible, uh, as we all know. They're either terrible or they've played some of the you know like some 1980s Southern Methodist type rushing attacks. I think they're just bad. Uh, but no, I, I don't know. I, I think the chiefs are so up against it from a cap standpoint and, and I'm not just talking about this season. I'm talking about down the road that I, I, I want to keep as many draft picks. I'm, I'm big on keeping draft picks in general, uh, because I think they're, they're, they're worth quite a bit. You can use a six round pick to move up. Um, you know, I don't think you're ever going to get a good player rarely, not never, you don't expect to get a good player just using a six-round pick, but you can use a six-round pick to move up the, say, from the third round to the second round sometime in the future. So there's value in a six-round pick, but that money, I would have loved grabbing him. And we're going to talk about another player who the Chiefs still have an opportunity to take on a potential very friendly veterans deal because he was uh, released. But in the case of Gilmore, just... That was so much money, and I think the Chiefs have. Last I saw, two and a half million or so. They just promoted Josh Gordon, so they're actually paying mm-hmm. him a real salary now, not a practice salary. So no, I, I'm fine that they didn't trade for him. I had had it come out that they weren't even interested in grabbing him after being released. That's a different story because I think you need to be aggressive in that sense. Because I I think. In the same way with baseball, I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's any such thing as a bad one-year deal. I don't think there's a bad mid-season prove-it deal for a guy that gets released. But I do think taking on that much water against your cap, um, you know, the Chiefs are always already in 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 a cap situation. I'm fine. They didn't trade for him. So
2: I said on a show recently. I don't even know if it's worth using up draft picks, because no matter what you get, ain't going to fix this defense. Well, that was kind of under the assumption a player like Stephon Gilmore wasn't available. I mean, he won defensive MVP, or or defensive player of the year, two, three years ago. I didn't envision that guy being available, and when he got dangled on the trade block last year, there was talk that they needed two first-round picks for him. So, to get him at a discount for a sixth-round pick, I think I would have done that. But The issue becomes you would have had enough money to trade for him. You know, you could have signed him to like a minimum deal, but you didn't have enough money salary-wise to trade for him, which means if you bring him in, you would have had to cut somebody. And that's where the issue comes in. It's easy for me to sit here and say, because you could have cut Anthony Hitchens and I think made it work cap-wise, but and as poorly as Anthony Hitchens has played this year and hasn't lived up to the contract – I don't think the Chiefs really viewed that as even being on the table because they view Anthony Hitchens as one of the leaders on the defense. They view him as a leader in the locker room, and I don't think they liked the message that that would have sent. So I don't think that was ever really on the table that they would have traded for him, although I would have actually probably looked into it a little bit more. I mean, you could also cut Byron Pringle for $2 million, which, you know, Pringle's had a couple bad drops this year. He had a fumble on a kickoff, but the Chiefs ended up recovering it. You have Josh Gordon coming up now. Do you really need Byron Pringle? If You know you keep him on the roster, but if it's the difference between having Stephon Gilmore or not, you're fine moving on from him.
0: Tyreek Hill said in the offseason he hadn't really discussed the possibility of changing because you can change some of the bonus structure of a player, and instead of a roster bonus, it becomes a signing bonus, and you can kind of kick the can down the road when it comes to their their cap hit, so the player himself is getting the same amount of money but the type of bonus determines what money goes against the cap. Uh, that change had not been made with Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill's contract, so that's another potential way to to skirt the cap. But let me ask you this, Derek: If you were and now in the case of the Panthers because they did trade for him, is is it is it possible that the Patriots just know something about his injury that they're not telling? Because if if something comes up and he's unable to play for the rest of the year, is it still, like, the Patriots, like, this deal's done, right? I guess I'm, I'm saying that there's there's no chance that, okay, his his injury's worse than we initially thought. He wasn't able to play. The Panthers get nothing back, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way, like, this deal is done done. No, yeah, it's, it's, so it's done. So maybe that's another risk you, you take on is, is, yeah, you got him for very cheap from a draft capital standpoint and that you only gave up a six-round pick. But are you taking on the risk that he'll even be I mean because he comes off injured reserve, what'd you say week seven? Yes,
2: it's after week six. So, let, okay,
0: yeah. so let's say week eight is probably when he's available to play because you want him to get his legs under mm-hmm. him. But let's say he's not even available then. I you know, so maybe the Patriots know something. I mean, it's not that I mean it's not that Bill Belichick has any sort of history of doing shady things to gain an advantage in his career <laughs> as an NFL coach. <laughs> but that's a question worth asking, and and I think the Panthers are a well-run organization, so there's no doubt in my mind they ask themselves the same questions we're asking. Um, but it's it's maybe it's something the Chiefs also considered, or maybe they just flat said no, we, you know, we don't want to give that up, or we don't want to take on that kind of that kind of salary cap. But um, again, like I said, I, I'm fine. They didn't make the trade. I, I would have preferred, you know, I would have been all over it if he got cut, but I don't, you know, the trade itself giving up a six round pick in a vacuum isn't a isn't bad the fact that you're taking on so much money that that's where my concerns lie
2: yeah and so at the end of the day it's it's not overly I you know ideally you make the move but um, I think sometimes we do as well get caught up and I see this a lot and this I'm sure happens with all NFL teams where it's like any player ever with a heartbeat who once was good or is good, gets put on trade block or gets cut. And immediately every fan base is like, oh, our team, you should come here. Like, that'd be great. You know, it's just it's just kind of an automatic thing. But uh, that kind of, to me, I, I can't tell where I'm at with the Jalen Smith thing. That's the other guy. And Jalen Smith, this one's more, I don't know if logical would be the right way to put it, but this one seems like it's more of a possibility to me, knowing that you had all those hurdles with the salary cap, with Stephon Gilmore, and the fact that even if he did clear free agency, it seemed like he wanted to go to Green Bay. With Jalen Smith, it's interesting because I, you, you like look around and you talk to people or, or you see what certain people are saying about him, and by all accounts, Jalen Smith had become kind of a bad player on the Cowboys' defense, but there's an upgrade to be had for the Chiefs because right now, their linebacking core, their defense, is terrible. And so going from terrible to bad
0: would still be an improvement. Jalen Smith was drafted 34th overall in 2016, so he was barely a second-round pick. He was two picks and he away. He would have been a first-round
2: pick if not for the injury he had in the Fiesta Bowl that year. And
0: even then, he was two picks away mm-hmm. from being a first-round pick, even with that injury. So at one point, he was thought of as a very highly highly-rated player. I I feel bad and, and feel stupid that I can't remember who's the the guy that the Chiefs just traded for who was a first round pick for the Vikings, Mike Hughes. Um, yeah, Mike yeah. Hughes. Similar situation, a guy. No, who the hadn't, Chiefs love those reclamation. Who, yeah, projects. who hadn't exactly hadn't lived mm-hmm. up to what he was as far as where he was drafted, but you come on to a second team. You and I, Derek, were talking about this off the air. Given the contract that Jalen Smith just got, what was the decision to cut him at this point in the season? Because they just what what did we decide? It was fifteen million dollars worth of dead yeah, cap that 15. the Cowboys are eating Spread right out now between the next two years just to get rid of him. See, so yeah, mm-hmm. you you can. That's I mean, so that's seven and a half million dollars a year over the next two years of, of cap room that you're mm-hmm. eating, and that's a lot. Yeah, man. and and he hadn't been great.
2: He had been kind of bad this season, but like you look at the Pro Football Focus grade, you know, it's in the high sixties, so it's not. It's not anything terrible, and, and like I said, even if that's not a number where you're going to lean on and say, yeah, we're so happy that we have this guy. He's the star of our defense. That's not the case. Well, guess what? Uh, right now, Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman are currently both graded in the 40s.
0: It's a different position, but Derek, just to give an example because we're, we're talking about a, a highly paid player that maybe isn't living up to his contract and isn't living up to the draft capital you gave up for him. But, Derek, how thrilled would you be if if Frank Clark right now was rated on pro football focus as a slightly a below average for his position? We'd all take that. Right. And so that's, that's what we're talking about with Jalen Smith. It's also worth noting that you would get him for basically a one-year not even a one-year, a 13-game-plus-playoff-prove-it deal. Yeah. Not much against the Cavs. And he's and going to
2: be making so much money from the Cowboys, he won't need a crazy deal this he'll year. He'll probably
0: want to go to a play. Well, I don't know what his motives are, but if he does want to go to a place that gives him the best chance to win a championship, Kansas City, uh, Buffalo, um, Green Bay, I mean, there are only a short list of teams that that qualify there. And he's 26. From looking at his pro football reference right now, he turned 26 in June. Mm-hmm. So not only is he 26, he's just now 26. So athletically, he should just be just now be coming into his prime. You know, I would love, I would be very, very happy. I think I texted you last night, um, and I want to get the the tweet right that I got this information from because I want to make sure to give proper. Um, proper uh, credit it was Adam Schefter I should have just assumed but anyway Adam Schefter tweeted last night Cowboys released Jalen Smith that was the t- tweet that I sent to you Derek and your immediate or do you remember your reply no your immediate reply was Chiefs please yeah So well, we, just- we both feel the same especially with It it makes sense.
2: And when you look at, like you said, the reclamation projects, they've done it with other guys too. DeAndre Baker's another one, a corner they brought in. They did it with Emmanuel Ogba a couple years ago. They did it with Cam Irving. And, you know, they work to a certain extent. Like Ogba, that was a success. With Cam Irving, not really a success. Um,
0: Well, so I was just going to say, Cam Irving, I think you look at the same way, and I think you'd view Jalen Smith the same way, although the, the defense is pretty bad, so maybe he would start. Like, if you can bring this guy on as somebody extra as depth, that right. you're, you're in a good spot. Cam Irving, I think, was terrible because he was forced to start left tackle. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, sorry. So, you have
2: these reclamation projects in the past, and that could be Jalen Smith. And you look at the pro football focus grades of Ben Neiman and, and Anthony Hitchens. They're 42 and 43. Jalen Smith, even though he has struggled this season, and even though it hasn't been a good season for him, his pro football focus grade in the high 60s is a vast improvement over what you have. And all of a sudden, Jalen Smith, the other thing is, you're talking about a guy who two years ago, this wasn't just a highly drafted prospect. Two years ago, he was listed as pro football focus sixth highest ranked linebacker in the NFL as a 24-year-old. So He had a slight position switch uh, from being one linebacker position to another, and maybe that was an effect on it. Maybe it's something else. But either way, you're getting a slight improvement with the chance of high potential, and all of a sudden, Willie Gay comes back this week. You have Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Jalen Smith. All of a sudden, you've overhauled your linebacker position at the very least with athleticism. And And above anything else, I I don't know how good this Chiefs defense is going to be. At least do something well, because right now you're not doing anything well. Even if you're just going to be a good run-stopping team or just a good pass-defense team, at least do one thing well, because right now you can't do anything well.
0: I'll take what you just said, Derek. We don't know how good this Chiefs defense is going to be, but we also don't necessarily know how good it needs to be. I mean, if this gets... I really truly believe that they can be, because they're definitively one of the three worst defenses in the league right now. I mean, if I if I just sold you right now, hey, take it or leave it, they'll be 25th overall in, game, in, in yards per game and points per game. I think most of them would take that. So they need to improve, but with the offense that they have, especially if this offense can limit the turnovers like they did against the Eagles the other day, and not have, you know, four turnover games or have turnovers in crucial moments like they did against Baltimore. All of a sudden you don't, you know, you don't need a def- you know, you don't need a a 2002 Buccaneers defense. You don't need a 2000 Ravens defense. You just need a defense that just like the Eagles the other day, instead of going you know, five for five in red zone trips, scoring touchdowns, you go two for five, and the other three times you get field goals. The Chiefs beat the Buffalo Bills in the AFC title last year, and the moment that I knew that game was over was the second time the Bills made the red zone, and part of this was their own coach uh, deciding to kick the field goal rather than go for it, but the point is they had two trips into the red zone, early in the game, and both times had to settle for a field goal or chose to settle for a field goal. And those were the times where, at that moment, I thought, all right, Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. That's all you need right now. You basically need a defense that maybe they grab a couple turnovers. They did get a pick six from Tyron Matthew against, uh, against the Ravens. But really, truly, you just need a defense that occasionally forces a field goal rather than a touchdown. You don't need some spectacular you know, early 2000s Ravens.
2: He's Adam Ravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, though, let's talk a little KU football playing a Big 12 opponent this week, one that's, I guess, more winnable compared to the other games on the schedule. How often has it even happened, though, that KU has beaten a Big 12 opponent without some weird fluke? That on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson along with Adam Dravetta, here in the KLWN studio. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, joins us now on the show. Uh, Jesse, I, I think it's fair to say that the game against Iowa State was probably KU's most sloppy game of the season, which obviously combined with the score, KU not being competitive for any point of that game, Did KU no favors from fan disgruntlement level? And I think that was the game that the most kind of fan unhappiness, fan apathy, whatever word you want to use, came out. Is there anything that worries you from that game from a long-term perspective, or do you view what you saw on Saturday as more of short-term issues? Uh,
3: Yeah, I mean, there's some things that worry me uh, for Kansas, and part of it's just sort of an extension of what – We've already seen and come to expect from KU's defense this year. We, we knew it was going to be an uphill battle for the Jayhawks just because of, you know, most of their best defensive players left before the season started. They transferred away when Les Miles left, and you already had a defense that led the nation, or I guess was last the nation if you want to look at it from that perspective. And when it comes to points allowed per game last season, but against Iowa State, you know, going back through some of the film, it's it's it was sloppy. Uh, You know, coach Leipold mentioned a little bit after the game, but there's certain plays and ones that Iowa state scored touchdowns on where you have one cornerback playing man defense and the other 10 guys are playing zone defense. And I would say it's a good enough team to find the area where the guy should have been playing in a zone. You know, that. So that's the sort of stuff. I mean, I know Iowa State does some tricky things uh, when it comes to their motion and when it comes to, hey, um, scheming some things up to try to take advantage of matchups, all those sorts of things. But if you're Kansas, you know, you're already out talented, you're already out, you know, <laughs> out experienced, if you will, but you can't. Not get lined up right, and not everybody know their assignments. And I know that's all tricky, and, and some of that is just going to happen when you're trying to install schemes, and especially when you're missing your starting safety because he had a targeting penalty uh, the half before against Duke. So a lot of those things go into play. But for Kansas, that those are the sorts of things you you have to start with. You know, those are the sorts of things that before you can get down the road and have havoc plays and sacks and become disruptive and get interceptions. You know, you gotta you got to have everybody on the same page. And so that's probably the most discouraging part from this last game is when things really came out of control for Kansas, a lot of that defensively wasn't just because they were getting beaten. It was because they were beating themselves. And uh, that's kind of a point A that needs to happen before any growth can take place with this defense. And and that's something that I'm sure we focused on in the bye week to make sure that they get get that sort of thing squared away.
2: Yeah, and I don't don't really know what to do with all of those issues because, you know, uh, all season long the – Natural excuse and it's a fair one. I don't. I don't want to make it sound like it doesn't matter. Is the fact that you had no spring practices and you were set behind and you had a a shortened time with the team, a team that already couldn't win a game last season. So that puts you uphill. And maybe you didn't have uh, the players in the program from all the guys you want is as far as recruit. Maybe you haven't don't have everybody to your liking in terms of their strength and athleticism. That's just going to take time under Matt Gildersleeve. So I guess how much do all those excuses matter into trying to figure out, well, why is it that they're having these mistakes that we've seen under David Beatty and Les Miles where we don't necessarily attribute it to, oh, it's just because you have worse players. It's because they just made mistakes that should be correctable, that should be teachable. Does that get classified as well in that same category if you just haven't had enough time? Maybe.
3: Yeah, I, I'm going to be interested. You know, the coaches, uh, Lance Leipold, and the offensive coordinator are going to be available, um, Brian Borland and Andy kohn later this week. And then I do want to ask him that because I think it's a fair question that you bring up or a fair question we're talking about here, which is, um, okay, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, making, I'm making it up. But, okay, so you're supposed to play cover one to this side and cover three to the other side, and one of your guys plays man defense. When that breakdown happens, you know, who does that fall to? Is that a because you didn't have time to install the scheme? Is that because your backup safety, who was in because the starting safety who usually communicates the calls was not in and he wasn't communicating well enough? Is that because you're basically starting freshmen across a freshman across the lines at cornerback most of the time? Uh, and your, your true freshmen just aren't ready to play yet or they're not ready to handle the mental load of this? Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's a good question, Derek, and it's kind of a question I want to get an answer to uh, and would like to ask about because I think it is fair, but yet I don't know really where to attribute it. You know, I mean, it's, it's sort of in that kind of jumbled mess where you could really make a point of it being either way, right? I mean, you could say, well, they only have been around and doing the schemes that Brian Borland has, the events coordinator, for two months now, so maybe they just don't know them that well yet and KU still has freshmen playing at cornerback and they don't understand their assignments well so that's a youth thing or it could be just the call didn't get in quick enough or it could be that when Iowa State motion KU didn't have a communication system that allowed them um, to understand what they were doing or or something that's simple enough for them to execute right now so it's a good question and I don't know from the outside again this is where it, it. it's tough to not be a coach or be in the meeting rooms, all those sorts of things. I, I don't know the exact answer. It's probably all of the above. To be honest with you, it's probably a little bit that they need to simplify if their guys can't get it right now, and, and try to to make things just at, at the very bare minimum, so that everybody is on the same page and knowing what they're doing. But. Then some of this can be like, oh, look, there's a lot of freshmen out there that are getting their first taste of Big 12 action, and oh, look, there's a, you know, there's people out there who weren't out there the week before and already that, uh, you know, are not performing at a, a very high level in Big 12 play anyway. Then you go up against a a mad Iowa state team that looked like it was ready to put up 100 points on somebody because they were so angry about being two and two. And you have kind of a lethal combination. So I think it's a good question. I think it's one that should and will be asked uh, later this week of those guys, but it probably is just a little bit of everything right now as Kate was facing, whether they're trying to rebuild this program and uh, what kind of is year zero based off of the timeline that Lance Eifel took over this program in late May or late April, I should say.
2: Yeah. And I, I just don't, really understand how the defense has, you know because like you said last year you were giving up 46 points per game you were one of the worst defenses in the country a season ago and yet so far you've been worse I mean against just FBS competition you're giving up 51 points per game and I get it. You lose Marcus Harris and Karan Prunty, who you could argue were the two best defenders on the team last year. But overall, linebacking core is pretty much the same, but a year older, except you added a couple transfers into the mix. The defensive line, we thought, might have actually been deeper this year than it was last year, just overall. The safety room is basically the same. The corners, while young, there was talk that they'd have just as much talent, if not more than last year. I just... I. I'm not saying I was expecting this to be a great defense or anything, but I thought it would be improved from last year. And so far it's been below that, which was already a low bar.
3: Yeah. Um, I, and, yeah. I'm not, I'm not pinning this on you, Derek. Obviously you're not the one that uh, is in charge of this around on the field, but I, I mean, one of my bold preseason predictions was that KU was going to be the worst team in the nation when it came to points per game defensively again. And but
2: you didn't I, I think, think they were going to get worse, did you? You
3: didn't think it was yeah. going to be more
2: points per game.
3: So, well, I mean, it had to be basically because last year I don't think who didn't play a full schedule, like UMass didn't play a full schedule, and some of these other teams. Mm. And KU still, to be fair, not worse in the nation right now. Um, so they still have uh, room to go to even make that prediction true. But you know, I. I'd love to stand here and point and say it's this person's fault and it's this coach's fault and it's this player's fault, but I, I really do think it's the circumstances. And I I, I don't – you know, it sounds like a cop-out. It really does. And I, I, I hate to make it just shrug your shoulders and say there's nothing that they can do because obviously there are things that they can do. And through a bye week, they're going to be dissecting that sort of stuff. But um, th- that's just the reality right now. I mean, those guys took over. And they had all of August practices to get in their new schemes and evaluate all their talent and see what they had. And honestly, I think they probably thought at the end of those August practices that their cornerbacks were ahead of where they are now. Um, Their cornerbacks were pretty awful against Iowa State. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm basically telling you that here over the the radio. I mean, that the cornerbacks blew a bunch of assignments against Iowa State and built that cost them touchdowns. That's not good. And, And that's, that's not just freshmen. That's, transfers that they brought in, that's other people. I mean, that's, that, that's just not good. And so um, it's, it's a delicate balance here because if you really think about it, does this year matter that much? Um, you know, you, want to, you have to play the game. You have to go on every week. You're trying to get better. You want to be improved, all those sorts of things. But it, it's not going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things. So they're kind of – the coaches are kind of dealt with this very difficult dynamic, which is you're trying to win games in the short term, even though they don't really have a great chance of doing that. While also playing the long game and trying to make sure that hey, if nothing else, by 2022, 2023, the product does not look like what it looks like right now. So you're kind of in between, especially on a bye week like this, and trying to get guys ready for next week, and then also trying to get guys ready for the future when things potentially are lined up where you have a chance against the Big 12 opponents. So. Uh- I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's tough, and you're right. I mean, offensively, at least you can kind of look over there and squint and see different things where you're saying, "Hey, that's going a little bit better," and this guy's doing pretty good, and there's some highlights there. And even though it's not every week, you see flashes. Defensively, just has not been that. It really has not. And I think that uh, I think that that's something that has to be worrying a little bit. But I think it's also something that Kansas is going to have to definitely um, take a close look at in this offseason to try to bring in some people that they might think are are better than the options they currently have if they don't think they have uh, the right guys in the program right now and a year of development will help but uh, getting more personnel will help too and and that might be kind of the reality they're facing at this point when they're looking at the pieces they have and seeing that they might not be exactly what they thought they would be
0: Yeah
2: and I look at the offense with, you know it's weird, you only score 7 points you average basically 4 yards per carry which isn't like an electric number but the fact that you were going up against one of the best defenses in the Big 12 in the country in Iowa State, an Iowa State team that gave up under two yards per carry to a top five Iowa team who relies on their running game, and the fact that you were even able to do that after where the offensive line was and where the wide zone running game was not uh, even just a couple weeks ago, I almost viewed that as the most impressive thing you did in that game, and I almost view that as you know, the Duke game statistically was a lot better but that was almost maybe the best performance of the offensive line this season, which is weird that you only scored seven points in that game, and I think speaks to the Iowa State defense. So while the defense, I don't really see an avenue for improvement this season for KU, I think you can at least see avenues for that offense to improve as the season continues on.
3: Yeah, and probably, they're honestly, they might be at the point right now where I do look, they're 2022 class. They don't have, um, you know, they're going to be a little bit smaller on that because of the body they already signed for this year that kind of out ahead in those scholarships. But most likely I'm guessing that the coaching staff reserves some of those scholarships to say, okay, you think you know what you have in August. You figure you might understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, but maybe you don't fully. Okay. So you play out four or five or six weeks of the season. And then all of a sudden you're looking at this going, okay, look. These are the positions. Uh, you didn't know this in late August. You didn't know before you put the bodies out there. But these are the positions right now where Kansas needs immediate transfers from other schools, from the Mountain West or from the, the WAC or from wherever. You know what I mean? Wherever they can grab these bodies. And um, so, uh, again, this is preferable. It's, it's not like everything's a train wreck for Kansas. There are places where you're saying, hey, look, the offensive line getting better week by week. Uh, Devin Neal is uh, having week by week improvement. Uh, Jason Dean has not been consistent and still is, is lacking on some of the game management parts and some of his reads, but there has been flashes of it for him. And at least you can see a path there towards success, especially if he gains more comfort in the offense. Um, but, but you know, some of these things defensively that they're not getting better and they're not improving and you don't see guys making more plays or being more confident in their reads or having fewer blown assignments. And so yeah, that's that's again, we're going back to more big picture stuff. You're kind of pulling away from the end season issues, which I think that's fine too, because Kansas are gonna go in every game and Texas Tech's a big one at home because it's probably the most winnable game they have left in the season you want to get to two wins. I mean, that would be amazing for Kansas. And and a lot of fans would view that as a success, even if the rest of the games don't go well. So it's not like you're punting the season. But um, this year, it is about more than just what the final record is for this team. I mean, they kind of have to do both things at once because while if Kansas goes 1-11, there's not going to be major heat on this coaching staff because they just got hired and a lot of this was working against them. If in two years the thing isn't as built up as what they hoped it would be, then, yeah, that, that's when you start to feel something, and that's when you start to feel like things aren't going as well as you want it to go. So we'll see. I mean, again, like I said, I, I think that they're learning some of these answers that they maybe didn't know at the end of August, and I think you'll see some of the personnel decisions in the offseason that are reflecting what has happened so far this year and where the areas of need truly have been. And, uh, again, if I'm making guesses, I'm thinking the defense is going to get – it's more the squeaky wheel right now. It's going to get more of the oil than maybe what we thought before the season started, and uh, we'll see how KU addresses it on the offseason. We'll see if they can come up with a little bit more improvement than we all saw in the Iowa State game.
2: I know, based on where we were in the preseason and how it's gone now, if I were to ask you, will KU win another game the rest of the season, I know what your answer would be. Uh, let me take that a step further. Will there be a game this season that KU either wins or at least loses by single digits?
3: And you're really worried about your bet, aren't you? Um,
2: oh, at this see. point, I've, I've, I've figured <laughs> I've uh, spent money on worse. So, <laughs> um,
3: You know, I, I, think, I think they'll be in a one-score game. I, the, the good thing, the way the schedule sets up uh, for Kansas, is a lot of these winnable games are at home, and a lot of the not winnable games are on the road, which is sort of how you want it to set up, right? I mean you're going to get your your doors blown off against Oklahoma State. You're going to get your doors blown off against Texas and against TCU. You might as well play those teams on the road and and have the result, like I would say, because as you mentioned, Derek, what matters now is if you can get that second victory. It'd be kind of a a big turning point. So home against Texas Tech, home against K-State, home against West Virginia. Yeah, I I think one of those games, they can be competitive. I think they're also playing the smart way, Uh, as I mentioned before, is that They're trying to not beat themselves. And then if one team comes in here to to Lawrence and has turnovers – Has penalties, has self inflicted mistakes, and KU is trying to take the air out of the ball, limit possessions, you know, uh, stall a little bit, all those things. Then you look up, and KU might be in a game in the the third quarter, late third quarter, and then early fourth quarter, which is kind of what the goal has been all along. So I think they're doing this intelligently. I think there's a game that, you know, could swing 10-15 points based off an an opponent's mistakes. And uh, when that happens, then yeah, you can have a one-score game, and this can look a whole lot better than what it did last week against Iowa State. So I think there's hope for that. Will KU get another win? Odds are probably against it at this point, but in a one game sample, things can happen. And I think KU has at least put himself in position that if a team is going to hand them the game, KU will be there to accept it. All
2: right. Before we let you go, Jesse, uh, Adam Dravetta, my new co host here, we do a thing at the end of our interviews called One Last Thing with
0: Adam. Jesse, one last thing. Someone uh, at the Kansas City Star offers to raise your salary by 10%, but all of your writing has to be done on a desktop that you need to take with you to all the games, all the press conferences, all that. Do you take that deal? (laughs) Uh,
3: No deal. No deal. Uh, Really? I'm I'm, I'm already uh, huffing and puffing when it comes to the (laughs) stairs at Memorial Stadium. I can tell how out of shape I am, so... Yeah, yeah, thirty or forty more point or pounds on that, and uh, a bigger backpack. Uh, I think I'll just uh, leave the money alone. I don't need it that badly.
2: Would you do a typewriter?
3: The problem with the typewriter is I make enough errors that I, I, you would not have anything <laughs> readable by the end of uh, by the end of the game. So um, that would probably be actually worse. So <laughs> no, no, I think uh, the, the money's safe. The star, the star is going to keep that money in
2: its coffers. Now you can always relive the money you can't. Get back all the the back pain and the bad memories. So, good answer there. That's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. All right. Thanks, Derek. All right. That's Jesse Newell. Check out all his work in the Kansas City Star and at kansascity.com. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017. and 1320 KLWN, Derek Johnson along with Adam Dravetta, Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, Bill Whittemore, former KU quarterback in the early 2000s at the beginning of the Mark Mangino era, going to join us at 5. By the way, you heard at the end of that update there, Jace Tingler, the manager for the San Diego Padres, relieved of his duties, fired. <laughs> Duty. You know what's, what's great is that Jace Tingler, in the last week of the season, I forget if it was the GM or the owner, came out and and said um, something along the lines of, like, we plan on firing him. He's not fired. Awesome. Which is great because you never hear that. Usually it's like, no, you are fired instead of just like, no, we plan on firing him, but, like, we don't know yet, you know?
0: I think that owner looked at the money that was going out in payroll. And now, look, for the – now, I, I don't know nearly as much about the NL West as you do, Derek, because um, you're a Giants fan. But I do know enough to know that the Padres, with the money they spent uh, and the, the talent they had... Yeah, now it's the, not the, even the just Giants, the money, it's, it's... The Giants were somewhat surprising, I think, in a lot of people's eyes. I think everybody expected the Dodgers to be at the top of the standings. But I, I just, yeah, I, I think it was pretty clear to everybody by about Labor Day that, that the Manager wasn't coming back from San Diego.
2: Oh yeah, no, it was. It was for sure. I mean, it's a situation where it's not just the money they spent. It's they they gave up a lot of young talent to get win now players. Like you go out and make a trade for you, Darvish. You go out and make a trade for Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove and beef beef things up and. It just it didn't work out. And, and on top of it, they had high expectations. And, you know, if they would have just made the second wild card, they would have been fine. Even if they were competitive and it's like because the Cardinals went on this 17-game winning streak at the end of the year and the Cardinals squeaked him out by a game, he's probably fine. But they fell apart. I mean, they were the team to beat for the second wild card for a while. It looked like Giants and Dodgers had the first two spots. And then the Padres, the last month of the season, just collapsed. And they didn't even finish 500. I mean, they were in the second wildcard lead for a majority of the season until they collapsed. They finished 79-83. and Uh, They just looked like a completely different team the last month of the season. You had to blow up with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis. I'm not surprised that that ended up happening, but I don't know. I just wonder when the Padres' GM is going to have to answer. He's the guy who hired him. He brought him over from Texas. That's where A.J. Preller, the GM for the Padres, was previously at. He's probably the next guy to go, but he's probably got one more shot at it. And what's interesting now, I know there's been some talk about this. Bruce Bochy, the former Giants manager, actually was in San Diego and then went to San Francisco. There's talk he wants to get back in the managing game after he retired last year and that the Padres might be a logical destination.
0: How many years was um, was Tingler in San Diego? I think three. Okay, I because my, my first thought was, Anybody who had, and I thought this is a Royals fam, and I I think the jury's still out about um, Mike McCarthy. I'm I'm fine with him, I guess. Um, but the the first thought I had for anybody that needed a new manager was AJ Hinch. Mm-hmm. That if he was going to get suspended for what happened in Houston, okay, fine, you let him deal with the suspension, but you hire him immediately because he's a really good manager, and the Tigers just finished third in the AL Central.
2: Yeah, so. Out of nowhere. Yeah. No, it's funny because both guys that got the brunt of the punishment for not just the Astros scandal, but the Red Sox thing as well, Alex Cora, both those guys came back this year. You see the impact Cora had on the Red Sox. They go from having... Uh, playoff team a couple years ago to being bad last year. He comes back all of a sudden now. They they win the wild card game last night. And then Hinch, as you mentioned, the Tigers, that's a young team who wasn't supposed to be very good. And they were kind of feisty, especially in the second half of the season. So impressive stuff there. All right. Adam Dravada, Derek Johnson, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Hypothetical of the week time. We, we're just talking beforehand. And KU obviously kind of has their eggs in one basket this year to win a national title. Now, it's a little different than football because each and every year with the transfer portal and bringing on five-star freshmen, you can basically replenish each and every year. But certainly, they've made it with the roster so that they are going for a title this year, which when you're at any blue blood, that's obviously the goal. KU football hasn't won a game since South Dakota. We are getting to the point of year where people are going to be ready to transition from whatever it's basketball season. If I told you the Kansas football would not win another game in Lance Leipold's tenure with KU, but the trade-off is that they win a national title this year, would you take it?
0: Um that's a tough one cuz it's just this year. Mhm. You know what? I'm almost going to say no because I think and and for those of you who uh want to get involved at D Johnson Radio is Derek's Twitter handle. I am @a droveta uh, also, we've got a Rock Chalk Sports Talk Twitter page, so you can get some answers that at way. At or
2: CST thirteen twenty, I'll put up a poll for this.
0: So, but you know what? I really, up until this moment, Derek was gonna say, "Yes, absolutely, I take that." But I, I don't know because I, I just, it's always kind of been. I just, I think, I kind of take for granted that Self is probably gonna win himself in another national title sometime or another at KU. Part of me has thought that if, if this um, hammer comes down from the NCAA and let's say they get a three-year postseason ban and the next time they can play in the NCAA tournament after this year is 2026, then Bill Self and his assistants are just going to go absolute ham on that 2025 recruiting class. Uh, but the point is I, I really believe that Bill Self has another title in him and in his, in his time at KU. Um so I I would say no because I I I think even if we're just if it's only going to be this year I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket. I think self wins another even if even if it's not this year.
2: So I wouldn't take it as well. And I love football. I love college football. I want KU football to be successful. So for that reason I wouldn't take it because that's and, and I believe in Lance Leipold. So if you if you told me, you know, at that point if the Lance Leipold is <laughs> so bad that he only wins one game and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's against South Dakota game. Oh, man, I don't even know what you do with the football team at that point. Uh, certainly, you're not leaving for another conference like some teams want if you're staring down the barrel of, whatever, 40 straight uh, losses. Yeah. Um, so, no, I would not want that. But where you start to get a little more interesting, what, let's up the ante here. Back-to-back national titles. Yeah. And it. no postseason ban. Oh, yeah. Take okay, it. one, one national title, but you you get clear from the NCAA? Still no. So you win this national title, but you have no issues to worry about after that.
0: No, you give me back-to-back, though, and and the no postseason ban. Yeah, 100%, because I think... um, I just kind of think, what's the longest self has gone without a a Final Four at KU? Six years? You went from 12 to 18. Mm -hmm. Um, We all... A lot of people think it probably would have happened in 2020, Mm -hmm. but we didn't get a chance to find out. Back-to-back? Back. Yeah, because Derek, I've asked you this question many times, and we're kind of getting into a different hypothetical, but I've always said...
2: Hypotheticals of the week.
0: I've, I've always said to people, and I love asking this question, You have all, everybody has all their teams. If you're like me, you've got the Chiefs, the Royals, Sporting Kansas City, um, and, of course, the Jayhawks, the, the various teams. I, I love KU. Both Derek and I had an opportunity to do radio for uh, the volleyball team, so we have a connection with Coach Bouchard. And in general, you just have pride in KU doing well. I don't, I don't watch, um, you know, the baseball team closely, for example. But if they make the NCAA tournament, I'm going to think, hey, cool, and I'll yeah. watch them. Um, but the point I'm getting at is, uh, is the the way you always find out who is your of all your teams who is your favorite. This is how you find out. You say, all right, over the course of the rest of your life one of your teams wins 10 more championships. <laughs> Just
2: so many. And the
0: rest of them win zero. Mm-hmm. My answer's always been KU men's basketball. I would take their, I would take 10, and none of my other teams win. Now, now, it's way easier to answer that question now because I've already seen the Royals and the Chiefs win championships and the same with Sporting Kansas City. So it's easier to say that. But my, my point is I really feel the strongest about KU basketball, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that they're the team that has been the the consistent standard bearer, the great team over my whole life. I've loved the Royals and the Chiefs my whole life, but I've also seen lean years from them. I haven't really ever seen a lot of lean years from KU basketball, which is probably why I cheer more for them, but I also think I, I I'm a sucker for history, so I love the history behind it. Um but back to this hypothetical, I just I brought that up to show you how much to give you an example of how much I love KU men's basketball. Um, but if we're just talking, you're giving me you're giving me a 2022 national title, and Lance Leipold does not win another game as the head coach of the University of Kansas, I can't say I take that because I again I think there's going to be first off we're not saying you're not going to win a title this year in basketball. We're just right. saying it's not guaranteed.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. If you don't take it, like it's- if you do take it, you you know the results. Not that. It's you would be in. aware of it, yeah, right. Um, I guess in this scenario, like you take it and then you get Men in Black, Flash, Memory White, yeah, and so then you can you enjoy live it, it. Out, right? Um, but in the scenario where you don't take it, for all you know, you like you said, you could win the title, yeah. But it's very hard, and that that I think needs to be brought up as well because as much as and I agree with you, you would think Bill Self's going to win another title at Kansas. It is really freaking hard to win national titles in college basketball with that six game tournament. I mean. Uh, some of the greatest coaches of all time, you know, it, it's always funny every year uh, you'll get around March and uh, you'll hear people be like, I can't believe John Calipari only has one title. And it's like, d- do you know the coaches off the top of your hand who are active who have more than one title? You know, it's it's like what? It's Jay Wright
0: and Mike, Krzyzewski. Mike Krzyzewski Roy Williams is, is retired. gone now. So what is that? It uh, is. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Patino's got two. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, is what's his name the the old UConn coach Jim Calhoun? Hoon. Is but he's he, still like in a D like three school. Yeah. But yeah,
2: not obviously considering that for this. So what? It's three guys. I really maybe think four? we're forgetting somebody.
0: But I, I really and I felt this for some time, Derek. I I think we're coming to a stage now where um, Bill Self and probably John Calipari and Jay Wright, who I I think the funny thing about Jay Wright is he hasn't he his Calipari and Jay Wright's floor have been much lower than Bill Self. He's never missed a turn. He's actually never been lower than a four seed in the tournament at KU. Um Calipari and Wright have missed some tournaments. Uh Jay Will or Jay Wright has had a couple years where he's been an eleven or a twelve seed. Uh but I I I think we're we're approaching a year or an era, Derek, where if, if Bill Self chooses to stay at Kansas and not go to the NBA, I, I sincerely believe uh, we're hitting, you know, Bill Self is approaching a three final four and two title and six year type stretch. I really believe he's uh, with, with Mike Krzyzewski out of the way. Um, I just think you're, you're, I think Bill Self got a title early in his life. He was like 45 or 47 when they won that. And it was his fifth year at KU. I, 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 I just, you know, you look at how long it took Roy Williams to to win a title. He started at KU in '89. He didn't win a title till 0, till '05, uh, and then he, you know, ran out two and four years, and then won another in 2017. Point being, I, I think coaches get better with time. Um, I think great coaches only have so much more they so much more better they can get, but I still think coaches continue to improve. And as Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, has retired. Krzyzewski is in his last year. I just think we're approaching an era where the the competition, where Self is going to be Self, Calipari, and Jay Wright, and will, and probably Chris Beard are going to be the big dogs. They're going to be what people thought of when they thought of Mike Krzyzewski. Um And so I think the time is coming for, you know, I don't think he's going to win, what K okay, have six? Yes. I don't think he has six, but if you told me... If you set the over under on on point five, uh, I would definitely take the over. I think he wins another. If you set it at one and a half, do I think he wins two more? That wouldn't shock yeah. me at all. So no, ba- I- based on what we're talking about now, and we're, we're you know I, I've let it, and I'm sorry about that. I've let it get off topic a little bit. But based on this hypothetical, no more wins for Lance Leipold, but you're giving KU men's basketball the national title this upcoming season. For those reasons, I don't take that deal because I think Self has at least one more in him. When you look at how good he's, he continues to improve as a coach, he's already a great coach, and his biggest competitors are getting out of the way to through retirement.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't take it, but I would actually be a little tempted just because, you know, um You it's also just really haven't hard to seen win a national it. title. Yeah, That's one yeah. thing
0: I want to point out for Derek. He was here. Um, he was not... It, you weren't here for twenty twelve for that final four run, um, so KU or Derek became became a student in, in thirteen, right? Yeah. So Derek's first experience with a KU final four was eighteen, and so you know he just to add some perspective, I, maybe it's easier for me to, to say that because I've seen I've witnessed it, I've seen KU, I've seen self win a title. I was here for I was I was in Lawrence for it. I wasn't I wasn't a student yet, but maybe that that plays into it a little bit that i've actually witnessed it happen no i think it does um but there's you know there's also a part of
2: like march madness no matter what is still awesome it's amazing but there are definitely correlations between the march madnesses that you view to be the most fun and exciting with the years your team goes deep because the longer your team is alive the longer your team has hope the more in tune you are with the rest of the bracket right yeah so uh, that would be a fun part of it too Going back to, like, all your titles thing, and what would make me so tempted is that, you know, if you would have told yourself after 2008 when KU won the national title that KU for the next 13 seasons was going to still be really good each and every season. There wasn't going to be something there. Bill Self was going to be there the entire time. They were never going to get lower than a four seed. You would probably have said, "Oh, they're definitely winning another title yeah. in that span." They haven't. And again, That's this true. isn't uh, this isn't to say like, "Oh, they're underperforming." No, March Madness is just random. It is so hard to win that I would be tempted to take it just because it is so damn hard to win that tournament. But, but I, I still wouldn't.
0: I think self has the formula, which is you know what what's Derek? Let me ask you this: what's the what's the best way to get to a Final Four? Is there a best way getting to an elite eight? Well, yeah. So that my point, the point I'm trying to make, and that was somewhat of a of a smart alecky way to say, you want to constantly put yourself in the best position possible. It's not a surprise, um, you know. We're going to take any opportunity we can to pick on Missouri. Missouri's never been to a Final Four. Same with Purdue. Purdue's never been to a Final Four. When you look at the amount of elite eights they've been to, that's a really really low number too. So I think Shusetsky kind of showed, and and look, the ball has to bounce your way. Luck matters, um, and and we can get into you know self's difficulties, particularly in the late Eight. But my point is, I think that the formula is pretty clear. You know, you have you know put yourself in the best position to succeed in the tournament. Which step one is getting into the tournament, and step two is getting a high seed in the tournament. Um, Self has figured that out, and I just think. I don't know. I just, I, I just think eventually things just bounce your way. I mean, I, I also, I want to be, you know, I, I also witnessed KU go from, you know, making the Final Four in '93. I'm, um, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm, I've got about seven years of age on Derek, so I remember the '93 team that upset Indiana and the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four, and then I watched them have a lot of great teams and not make another Final Four until 2002, um, and, and so. You know, I. But I just. I also know that you know the 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 more you're able to get, you know, a one or a two seed, the more shot, the more real shots at a title you're going to have. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm
2: Derek Johnson. That is your hypothetical of the week here on RCST. Bill Whittemore joins us in the top of the five o'clock hour. Coming up next, Josh Gordon seems to be ready to go for this week for the Chiefs. Let's talk about that on the other side. Joins us in about 35 minutes from right now with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. This is RCST. Josh Gordon is on track to debut for the Chiefs on Sunday. I guess the first question is how much of an impact can he truly have? On one hand, I'm not expecting much. I don't think he's going to play like a, a giant amount of snaps in the game. I mean, he's only been on the practice squad for one week. And yes, there have been glowing reviews so far. I know. Travis Kelsey was on the Rich Eisen show and he was talking about how great he looks. He came in fully in shape, ready to go. He had been preparing for this even when he wasn't activated by the NFL yet. So from that standpoint, yes, but it's still going to be a a process of getting him familiarized with the playbook and everything that he's not going to play every snap. You're not getting a lot of production, though, from those other receivers. It's Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill every game. The other receivers aren't getting targeted much. They're not getting open as much. They're not making plays as much. You need somebody else, and it's not just that you need somebody else just in a general uh, perception of it, but you need somebody else to do something different because as good as Tyreek Hill is, he's not a one-trick pony, but he has certain things he can and cannot do. Travis Kelsey, you know... He's an unbelievable player, but what happens if the other team's double-teaming him? You need somebody to get open like Sammy Watkins was able to do in the Super Bowl and having a big game for you against the 49ers. I'm not expecting it right away, but the question is, can John Josh Gordon show flashes of that right away, and can he eventually be that this season?
0: Um, I tweeted this during Monday Night Football. Uh, Darren Waller had a catch, a touchdown catch, and, and there's been large discussion about the Chiefs' difficulties in the red zone, uh, not just on defense but in offense when it comes to, you know, getting into the red zone and scoring because they did so much of their attack over the top. Uh, the running game improving has certainly opened things up with Tyreek Hill. I think we saw that against the Eagles on Sunday. But I do think Josh Gordon gives you an athlete who is capable of making a I'm taller than you, who you know, I'm taller than the cornerback defending me, I'll, I'll um, you know, high point it, grab the ball, and get in with two feet in bounds. I think in the long run, that's something Josh Gordon brings to the Kansas City Chiefs. In the short term, with uh, the upcoming game against the Buffalo Bills, I agree with you, Derek, that I don't expect much. I'd be stunned if he really plays more than 10 snaps. But I think Andy Reid, something really underrated about him, is his capacity to find ways to force a defense to waste time, planning for something that may never happen, uh, and I think he, you know, in one way I think it's it's the different looks. We every year it seems like we we get a different scheme from Andy Reid that we go, wow, we've never seen them line up this way before, and from that one type, you know, one that that scheme, uh, they can drop about eight or nine different plays, and then you know they run a certain scheme and. September and then November comes and you're like, all right, wow, they just ran that in week two, but it went to a different receiver. And so he finds way. And so whether it's a new scheme uh, that creates new options or it's situations like this where they just bring in a new player and say he might play. I mean, he's been really athletic. Andy Reid did say he has lower body fat than him. Um, And, uh, you know, I just, I think, This is a situation in which right now Buffalo, who I think kind of had a stinker against Pittsburgh, and other than that, is probably the best team. If you still want to say the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC, I won't spend a lot of time arguing with that. They're certainly great. I think they're one of the best offenses in the AFC. But I think the Bills, in my mind, are the best team in the AFC. Um, they've just, you know, th- their wins have come against bad teams, but they've, they've dominated them. It's not like they just beat the Texans 14 to 10. They beat them 40 to nothing. Uh, and so I just, I think the bills are really good and, and this forces the defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier for the bills to watch tape, uh, on old Josh Gordon tape, not just John, you know, he forces him to watch, uh, how the chiefs use Sammy Watkins, And it forces the Bills to burn reps in practice to prepare for something that they might see. And that's where I think it comes in this game.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, even if he makes one big play, that's a big jolt you got that you weren't initially having. Um, I just, I see the way that the other receivers are being used. You know, Byron Pringle with some drops or DeMarcus Robinson. It's a catch and immediately you lose five yards on the yards after catch. McCole uh, Hardman at this point, the last two weeks, I feel like the only thing he's doing is they're using him in jet sweeps and on special teams, which, you know, honestly, that's fine. We we saw DeAnthony Thomas kind of star in that role, not star, but make that role worthwhile for the Chiefs the difference is they didn't have to use a second round pick on McCole Hardman and that's another question for another day and you know will McCole Hardman end up being re-signed to be that guy no probably not it's probably not worth another contract after that but you know there's a role for that on the team and it can be effective when the coaching staff dials you up you don't have that true number two receiver right now and it's it's not the biggest worry it's still the defense but if the defense isn't going to get better, which it's harder to find that as an avenue for success, you have to maximize everything you can do on the offensive end of the football. And having Josh Gordon out there, you're not even expecting like a 1,000-yard receiver. I mean, what was Sammy Watkins' even best year with the Chiefs? Like 700 yards? Something
0: like that. He, he was hurt a lot, though. There, yeah, absolutely. But well, we, we've talked before, you know, Sammy Watkins— you and I had a conversation off the air several months ago. I think it was around the time the Watkins signed with um, with the Ravens. If you could guarantee that Watkins would be healthy for the playoffs, and you can choose basically what eight games he was going to miss in the regular season with injury, I would have signed him back in a heartbeat if if the if that was in play. Yeah, and that's you know that's what it you know that's what Josh Gordon brings is he brings. Uh, now, Sammy, it is worth noting Sammy Watkins had a lot more recent playing experience than Josh Gordon. Uh, but I also want to say, you know, it's it's almost like the anti-Aaron um, anti Rodgers situation where, I mean, the Chiefs have made it very clear, not, not only with money but with weapons, we're going to do as much as we can to maximize uh, Patrick Mahomes' happiness. And I think this is long-term, another example of that. Even if Josh Gordon doesn't work out, he's just another example of the Chiefs knowing we you know, our you know, Tom Brady got his head on a swivel and started looking for other teams. Aaron Rodgers got his head on a swivel and started looking for other teams. We want to be proactive and make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, I think in maybe, you know, two thousand twenty two or maybe even in week twelve of this year and the playoffs of this year. I think we're going to be spending a lot more time talking about this Josh Gordon move in the immediate sense. And right now all we can do is think about how it is going to affect long-term because you and I are kind of on the same page with what he brings um, against Buffalo. But yeah, I I think if if Josh Gordon, I mean, if you get a few touchdowns and, and at the very least some level of, hey, we need to guard him, uh, you know, if you force the defense to guard him or you force the defense to say, all right, no, we, we're just going to take away Tyreek Hill, Josh Gordon, I think, is still good enough to, if you scheme him open against a bad wide receiver. And and look, Derek, on top of that, all of a sudden, McColl Hardman, and I'm, you know, I, I, again, we can, like you said, we can go back and rehash the draft pick they used on him. But Derek, right now, if, at least maybe in two or three weeks, maybe even right away, This all of a sudden goes from McCole Hardman lining up against the opposing defense's second best cornerback to their third best cornerback. Mm -hmm. And that means something, too.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's got to help McCole Hardman. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to have a situation where you basically double Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who's beating you right now? And, And right now, that's not consistently happening. There were the occasional games with Sammy Watkins where, and it, you know, you can't count on it. But like the Jaguars game, I think back to in the opener a couple years ago where he goes for like 200 yards. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Josh Gordon. But having somebody who has that ability to where if you say, hey, we're just going to single team this one receiver. Can you beat us? Not just one time. Can you beat us consistently? And that is going to be the key for Josh Gordon. Also back this week, though, is Willie Gay for the Chiefs. I think he practiced today. Um which of those do you think has a bigger impact moving forward, Willie Gay or Josh Gordon? Josh Gordon, mm-hmm. just
0: because I I just don't know. I think this offense is great, and one one you could make an argument that are they so great that one one receiver won't make that big of a difference. I'll, I'll listen to that argument, but I just I don't know uh, between. I mean, you could make the, you could the opposite make, argument exactly. For the defense, the defense right? is so bad that how yeah, it's like when light gets stuck in a in a black hole it doesn't matter how bright it is it still can't get out of a black mm-hmm. hole you know is the defense so bad that Willie Gay you know now look I, I think Willie Gay is going to be an important piece moving forward once you get Frank Clark and Anthony Hitchens off the payroll that'll be huge and, and maybe even in, in the future Tyron Matthew will be off the payroll although I, I do see a new contract coming for him um, so I think again long term Willie Gay being healthy is important but I, I just, I, I will say right now and for the rest of the season, Gordon is a bigger impact than Willie Gay, just because I, I don't think there's many solutions. I don't think there are many in-season solutions for this Chiefs defense.
2: So I actually think it's Willie Gay though. Um, well, you're wrong. Well, <laughs> I just, I, I, agree. Like there, there's only so much the defense can do, but the linebacking core has been atrocious. I mentioned earlier in talking about Jalen Smith, like uh, Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman, their Pro Football Focus grade is in the 40s. If you're in the 60s, that's not good. If you're in the 50s, that's really not good. If you're in the 40s, uh, yikes. Um, Nick Bolton is still a rookie. He's still learning the defense. Willie Gay, by all accounts, in the in training camp, in the offseason, sounded like he was the best linebacker on the field. He was one of the best defenders on the field. I mean, talked to Sam Mellinger, um, and he was saying he thought Willie Gay in just training camp was the best looking defensive player on the field. Now, I I don't know if that'll work out in game situations, but even if he if you're saying he's the third or fourth best defender on the defense, well that's not, you know, anything large. It's not comparing him to the O2 Buccaneers. We're saying you're the third best defender on a defense with John Lynch and Warren Sapp and Derrick Brooks. It's not that, but that helps a good amount. And if it's the difference to make this team the 25th best defense as opposed to the 31st. That's a sizable enough difference to me.
0: And Der- Derek, were you? I'm, I haven't had enough coffee today, so I cannot remember this. Or maybe you brought it up both times. I can't remember if it was our if it was our discussion about um, Jalen Brown, or if it was our discussion with Jesse Newell about Ku football. But at one point, you were either talking about the Chiefs' defense or Ku football's defense. And you said it's not just that they're bad; it's that they're not good at any one level. And you said just be good at something. And to your point, the point I mean, you're it could
2: making... probably apply to both the Chiefs and, and KU.
0: And to your point, what you're saying right now, Derek, is this at the very least gives the Chiefs a chance on the defensive side to be good at something. Yeah. And you know, you're right that that that's not that's not worth yeah. nothing.
2: Yeah. Because, exactly, you're you're better off just being horrendous at one thing and great at another thing than you are at being just bad at both, right?
0: I mean, I'll, I'll take a, a serviceable, and I, I'll say this now because it's it's like, you know, you'll take, you know, it's like when you're really, really hungry, cardboard would taste good mm-hmm. if you drip, dip it in some gravy, you know. So I, it's because of how bad this defense is. But right now I would take a decent and okay, you know, linebacking core with, Tyran Matthew running around behind him, I'd take that over what we've seen so far.
2: How could you not? So for that reason, I'm going with Willie Gay. But you're right; there is a very real chance that just because the defense is so bad, it just it doesn't matter uh, what Willie Gay provides. I just I'm confident in everything we heard in training camp that it is going to lead to an impact on the defensive side of the ball. How much? Remains to be seen. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, it is fall. It is October. It's a few weeks out from Halloween. Pumpkins are in the air. Top ten versions of a pumpkin on the other side. All right, welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Quarter till five on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson, and Bill Whittemore is going to be joining us in about 20 minutes from right now. But first, it's fall. It's almost Halloween. It's October. You're going to be seeing a lot of pumpkins all over. The top 10 best versions of a pumpkin. We're also going to have the top 10 worst versions of a pumpkin later this week. First up, though, let's get it started with the best. Number 10. 10th best version of a pumpkin. A giant pumpkin. You know, the ones that they grow out. For just, like, whatever reason, and they enter into contests.
0: Do you remember, Derek, did you ever watch much of a show as a kid called uh, Hey Arnold? It was on Nickelodeon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're one of the characters. I can't remember what his name was, but he, he was the big, tall, lanky kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, at one point, he, he didn't have much going for him, and so he decided to, as, a, as an activity, because he wasn't very good at sports, he was going to enter a pumpkin in the local fair, And he became obsessed with it and got really good at it. And he grew a pumpkin to the point that it was so big, they carved it out uh, and turned it into like a clubhouse. And then, of course, it got funny because toward the end of the episode, it started rotting and smelled terrible. Um, But that would be... I'm good on that because that would be really cool. Like a a building or a house size. Not even a house size, but just like a, a... eight-foot-tall pumpkin, wide enough that you and a couple friends can watch the game in.
2: It's like James and the Giant Peach, but with a pumpkin. Um, Actually, the heaviest pumpkin was in Germany. It weighed over 2,600 pounds. Fun fact. Number nine. Nine. Smashing pumpkins. You know, it's a, a kind of a juvenile activity, going around smashing pumpkins. Don't do it before Halloween's over, but, you know, after the trick-or-treating's done, if you're a teenager, maybe it's fun. I'm not condoning this, but you know, we've all been in that stage where it's like, hey, let's just go smash some stuff. And smashing pumpkins can be fun. Uh,
0: Derek, this shows the difference in our age.
2: Don't um, go don't go like smash some like you can tell like a little kid made a pumpkin or something. Don't do that.
0: No, this this shows the difference in age, is my immediate thought. Now, I want to be clear with, with the listeners, he doesn't show me this uh this list beforehand. I, I react in, in real time with the rest of you. Um, I immediately thought of the band. Smashing Pumpkins. I have I was no say, idea what that is. Oh, uh, they're a grunge band. I want to give a shout out to my older sister Megan, who um, really shaped my my taste in music. Uh, the Pumpkin, Smashing Pumpkins, were a uh, band from the early '90s. They were a grunge band. One of my all-time favorites. Um, they have I'll I'll introduce to you later, but I I yeah that just shows once again the difference in our age.
2: Number eight one of those plastic pumpkin candy holders you know the ones that have the strap on top it looks like a jack-o-lantern pumpkin but it's not it's just a plastic bowl and it's perfect for little kids going around trick-or-treating you fill your candy with it it's classic it is the best way to get your candy you know eventually you evolve to the pillowcases and you get more candy out of it so that's great but it's not as classy as the original. So plastic ne- pumpkin candy holder.
0: I never used the uh, pillowcase. No, you I were... always just used the, the plastic pumpkin yeah, holder. it's the classic. And let me tell you, there was there was a great time. We we took as a kid, we we kept all of our decorations for every holiday in the attic, mm-hmm. and um, there was every time toward the end of September, early October, there was always a day, and I never knew what was going to be, but sometime around early October, I would get home and I would come up the stairs and turn the corner and sitting on the table were our plastic pumpkins and I loved that because I knew Halloween's coming. Alright, this number
2: seven one's going to be controversial. Seven. Pumpkin spiced drinks. Love them.
0: You think this should be higher? By, oh yeah, by far. I actually, when I thought Smashing Pumpkins was the band and not the activity, I thought that was should have been higher too. Uh, I love a pumpkin spice latte. Um, if any, uh, if any of our great local or you know what national chain coffee shops want to sponsor us, and I don't care what you do for the rest of the station, if you just want to give me free <laughs> certificates so I can get a nice pumpkin spice latte, I love, and I I love pumpkin. They just it tastes like apple or uh, pumpkin pie. Um, they're probably a billion calories and more sugar than a Mountain Dew, but golly, they're good. <laughs> well,
2: they're controversial because. Sometimes it's overdone Sometimes there's too many things Sometimes people get mad because it's like Oh here we go pumpkin spiced everything again And it gets overplayed Honestly it's more overplayed the people who go Oh pumpkin spiced everything That's honestly more overplayed Than actually things that are pumpkin spiced at this point But pumpkin spiced drinks Can be absolutely delicious like you said It's just you know I, I'm not about it all the time So Oh I can have one every day For that reason it's only number 7 Number six, the movie or show—I
0: don't know what to call it. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I'd call it a movie. I don't think it was ever in theaters, but it—it's it, its own thing. It's not like there are multiple episodes. This is a classic. We are
2: now in prime Charlie Brown season. Between the, it's a Great Pumpkin. I think there's a Thanksgiving one. It's the one that the, it's
0: by. It's, it's the. It's not a Great Pumpkin. It's the Great. Yeah, pumpkin. it's the
2: Great Pumpkin, and then. Uh, There's the Christmas one. I forget what that That's, I think, probably the most notorious one. But this one as well. You know, it's a classic. You gather around, watch it. You feel like you're really in that fall Halloween season. Number five. Into the top five we go. A carved pumpkin, a.k.a. the jack-o'-lantern. Did you know, in England, they used to use large beets and lit them with embers to ward off evil spirits? Irish immigrants... Bought their brought their customs to America, but found that pumpkins were much easier to carve. So they started
0: doing pumpkins. I've never tried to carve a beet, but mm. uh, I can imagine that's very very true. And I, you know, it's a great activity. And you know what? It, something carving a pumpkin is a great activity as a child. Um, but you know what? It, it also it works really well as 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 a good date. Like That's a good date, yeah, there you go. If yeah. you become an adult Like a homey date You, yeah, know, you that's go a on a very picnic good, yeah. or you, it's, a very, yeah. it's a very fun You go to the pumpkin patch Maybe there's a corn maze Or maybe, you know, they're, they're a great uh, About an hour south of here There's a fantastic cider mill With a pumpkin mm-hmm. patch and a corn maze You're getting that. ahead of yourself right so now you So spend, you spend the day uh, getting your pumpkin Alright, I'm going to stop I, you here Because you're getting it. ahead of yourself so, You're getting ahead of yourself here
2: Okay, Number five is specifically just the carved pumpkin The jack-o'-lantern looks cool outside Uh, Fun to make All that stuff Into the top four Number four All right, number four Is the pumpkin From Cinderella This is the only Magic pumpkin On the list It turns into a carriage Right And On top of that Did you know The first time A pumpkin Was actually referenced As a pumpkin It had a different name Before then Was in the 17th century In Cinderella What was it called before I don't remember Because it was in like Latin or something Carl (laughs) <laughs> it was not called a Carl um, But how about this, you're talking about a pumpkin that turns into an actual vehicle You know, if I could go and buy a pumpkin and turn it into a car That would be the greatest thing ever
0: What happened, so I know I know Cinderella barely, barely cut it uh, And that's why she lost her uh, slipper and, and everybody knows what happened then but what do you figure happens is is the fairy godmother going to help her at least get out of the pumpkin <laughs> if she's sitting in it while it turns? Does she become tiny or does she, I
2: I think the pumpkin just explodes around her. Oh, that's fair. All right, yeah. But fair. that that is why it's not higher. If if the pumpkin always remained a carriage, that's great value to turn a pumpkin into a, a mode of transportation, but it didn't. It was only Money short-lived. You could get for that, man. Absolutely. But only short-lived. She should, she should have sold the carriage that night. And, then and the not person, told anybody yes. about it. Yeah, <laughs> the person gets home and it turns into a pumpkin. All right, into the top three. Number three. All right, this is why I said don't get ahead of yourself. Number three, going to the pumpkin patch.
0: Love it. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, once it goes, it goes, it's one of those things that's really fun to do when you're a child, but also a fun thing to do on a date. Um, you know, especially, you know, I love fall weather. Uh, you know, you dress all nice and cozy. Uh, it's nice and crisp outside. You go to the pumpkin patch and and go to a real pumpkin patch. I I understand that grocery stores uh, sell pumpkins outside and sometimes they even try to make it look nice. They've got the hay bales and they've got the corn stalks and all that. Go to a real pumpkin patch. I know you have to pay in most places to get in. It's worth it. It's a fun experience. It's, you know, choosing the pumpkin. It's almost like apple picking people like, why? Why don't you just go to the store and buy the It's It's the event. Usually a nice, a really good pumpkin patch is going to be in a more rural area. So you're out breathing fresh air, you know, you're dressed in, in warm clothes. It's, you know, nice and crisp outside. That's a fun event. Once again, that, that's an event that works perfectly as a, as a child or as a date.
2: Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, the difference between watching a football game at home versus going to the game, right? You can watch the game at home. You can be comfortable inside and, you know, spend uh, less money, get the, the store bought one. But if you go to the pumpkin patch... You get the camaraderie of everything going on. You get the fall weather, the crisp weather. You get to enjoy other things around the football game. Everybody's in a good mood. Yeah, everybody's in a good mood. And, you know, it's not just like, I I think the one that you're referring to, I don't know, because there's actually a couple nearby, but the one you're referring to, you have the cider mill, you have the, uh, my favorite part is the maze, the corn maze, which those are always fun. You have like uh, homemade treats and everything, like there's fudge and stuff. It's just a good time. There's pig races. I love the pumpkin patch. And when I was a kid, Used to go in, you could go on like the pumpkin patch rides where you get on like the car with the hay in the back and they bring a bunch of people around and they have all the pumpkin setups with the different, you know, scenes, nativity scenes basically, but they're with pumpkins. Uh, Cool stuff. So I love the pumpkin patch. Number two. Number two, pumpkin pie. Absolutely Delicious. I know some people don't like pumpkin pie. I think it's more of a texture thing. I love pumpkin pie.
0: My pop's birthday is uh, September twenty-first, and that is usually rather than a cake, that is usually his mm. dessert of choice. He and I have equal feelings about fall. Oddly enough, we both love fall, uh, but we hate the the shorter days. We get you know, you know, when it gets into winter and there's like eight minutes of sunlight, we hate that. But uh, yeah, can't go wrong with pumpkin pie. I love it, and and. I want a reason to have it ranked so high is it goes beyond, you know, pumpkin patch, carving a pumpkin, jack-o'-lanterns. Those stop on October 31st. Pumpkin pie extends right into New Year. Yeah. I mean, you have it at Christmas. You have it at Thanksgiving. Pumpkin pie delicious.
2: If you're Mel Kiper, you have it every morning for breakfast. Number one. The top version of a pumpkin. This is kind of a slashy. This is kind of cheating. Just pumpkin baked goods. Uh, you have pumpkin bread, you have pumpkin cupcakes, pumpkin muffins, pumpkin cake donuts, uh, pumpkin baked goods, uh, pumpkin cake. They're, they're all delicious. I love a good pumpkin cake donut, a good pumpkin muffin.
0: Pumpkin I agree. Bread. And uh, I, Derek, to tell a story, um, Derek and I interned together uh, at a different radio station. Our, it was my senior year, his junior year at KU. Uh, and one of those days we... Uh, We carpooled together, and we always met uh, at a Dylan's, and we always grabbed a couple donuts and a chocolate (laughs) milk for our ride to the radio station. Uh, That was springtime, so there are no pumpkin donuts, but I got to agree with you that because it's different. I think there are plenty of people who will eat a pumpkin donut or a pumpkin bread who don't like pumpkin pie because they do enjoy the flavor, but it's a different texture.
2: Yeah, so I actually like pumpkin pie more than, but this is a, you know, I'm taking in, What the people want. And like you said, there's a texture thing there, and it's not as strong as pumpkin pie. It's a little more subtle.
0: People who like pumpkin pie will eat pumpkin bread, but a lot of people who like pumpkin bread won't necessarily eat pumpkin pie. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That is your 10 best versions
2: of a pumpkin. Like I said, later this week, we'll have the 10 worst versions of a pumpkin. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Bill Whittemore, the former KU quarterback. We're going to ask him about his time at KU, and he's... Or underwent something that, you know, a lot of the players are trying to undergo now the beginning of a new head coach who maybe have a tough first season and trying to turn things around into year two. And also a guy who is similar to Jason Bean in the standpoint of a guy who transferred into the program, trying to make inroads, a guy who was kind of a dual threat like Jason Bean, different running styles. But interesting conversation with Bill Whittemore. That will come at the top of the five o'clock hour after this quick. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. we got a special guest, former KU quarterback Bill Whittemore joins us on the show. Uh, Bill, your your first season at KU with Mark Mangino, you guys go 2-10, and 10, and then you go the next year, you make it to a bowl game. Uh, what was the biggest thing? Because this year's team is obviously in in the first year of a new head coach, and they're going to be looking to make a similar jump next season. So what was the biggest thing that you took away from your first season as a starter and how you kind of navigated a tough first season and a record that wasn't maybe what you wanted?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think for me, for me personally, it was just, it was just growth in the scheme and, and within the system. Um, you know, I, I jumped around different programs. Uh, that was kind of my third stop in the, in the college um, ranks. And, and so I was pretty green in what they were asking to do. And, and you know, I, I knew, again, was, was learning different systems every year. So I never really had the uh, time to grow in a system. Uh, so I think it took me time. Uh, to figure out what exactly Coach Mangino and Coach Quittero was our offensive coordinator at the time, uh what they were wanting from me and, and how I needed to grow. And so I was um you know I was nervous playing in a big time stadium. I, I went from U T Martin to junior college. So now all of a sudden I'm playing in the Big Twelve and uh so I was making a ton of mistakes my first year. Uh so I think personally I, I grew um just in, in my personal development of of knowing the system and, and being able to manage the the offense better. Uh, from a, from an entire program standpoint, you know, I think the biggest thing is just coach putting his mark on the culture of the program. So, um, you know, when, when we got there, I, I went, in, I came in with Coach Mangino and his staff. Um, you know, we had some good football players in the locker room, but I, I don't think we were where we needed to be culture wise. To um, Making sure that we're getting the best out, of, you know, the full potential out of, out of the group, and so I think that took some time uh, to understand his expectations and making sure that we got there.
0: Bill, in uh, in the top on the topic of the culture, uh, the off season now, you know, you're coming off a season where you go two and ten. You mentioned you'd, you'd made some mistakes. What what was your off season regimen? Uh, not just you know your personal off season regimen but also the regimen you had with your offensive coordinator, with Coach Mangino, that led, because you know, the team as a whole improved uh, from 02 to 03, but you yourself went from 11 touchdowns to 18 touchdowns. You know you kind of had quite a bit of growth yourself as a quarterback between years one and two. What was your off-season regimen that led to that kind of uh, level of improvement?
1: Uh, I mean, nonstop to a degree, right? I mean, we're, we're there all summer. Uh, again I think part of that is just the experience within it uh being able to be the same system having the same staff you know nowadays you're getting all this turnover everywhere kids are transferring everywhere um, so we had a we had a young group that uh freshman year you know my first year uh if I recall my receivers the receivers that we were throwing to were you know Charles Gordon was a freshman um uh, Mark Simmons was a sophomore. Brandon Rideau was a sophomore. Uh, so I, I, think everybody, you know, our O-line, um, uh, we were fairly young as well. So, I mean, most of our, most of, and defensive too, uh, I look at like our, our linebackers were all, uh, freshman, sophomore with Nick Reed, Kevin Kane and Banks Fleming. So we were, we were a young team, um, going in and, um, you know I think all of our all of our guys worked hard in the weight room and and again, just running the same system for another year and nothing really changing. Uh, just get better getting better at what we do and spending a lot of time uh, over there watching film and throwing 707. I mean we enjoyed doing that. so uh, as most guys do that are that are at that level and playing at that high of a competition, uh, they know what they got to do to to get better, and we made sure we tried to do that the best we could.
2: You mentioned the the changing of culture and that that took a little bit of time. Was there a moment when that clicked? Did it take till the offseason after the first year? Was it something that you thought was changing in the first year, but then you don't realize that maybe you are up to snuff until that next offseason? I think it's hard to
1: change culture with guys that have been around other coaches. A new coach comes in, uh, I think you got to give it time for him to. I mean, I think, you know, when I think of our turnover, um, I think of the, the players that coach Mangino brought in. Um, and, and yes, there was plenty of guys that were there before, but a, a lot of it was, is, is bringing in the new culture and setting the expectation from the beginning. It's hard to, it's hard to change culture with guys that have been in a, uh, a locker room that didn't live up to that. Uh, and I, and I, and I, I'm not fully saying that prior to us, it was a bad culture. I, I wasn't there. Um, but I think the level of care uh, began to change a little bit uh, as we were, as we were together for a time and, and I think we liked each other you know I mean that's that's the biggest thing you know leadership wise, uh, I was never a good vocal leader. Um, I don't know if we I wouldn't say we had good vocal leadership uh, while we were there, but everybody wanted it and so everybody was of taking care of themselves and we you know that's leadership in and of itself right just setting the setting the bar setting the standard and and, uh work ethic and being on time and um doing the best you can every single day and so i think that just propels into excellence and and, you know you know if you stepped out of line uh and his staff was was going to get you that. that was the new expectation and so being consistent in that every day changes culture being being good at the details changes culture and that's one thing that he did well
0: coming into year two uh, that 2003 season, was there a feeling? Because obviously prior to that, um, KU football, at the time you were there hadn't been to a bowl game since 1995. You know you were coming off a 2-10 and 10 season. Was there this a feeling that, hey, us in this locker room, we know something that the outsiders don't? Did you know before everybody else did that you were in line to really jump to a new level of success going into that year too?
1: Uh, if I look back on it, I, I could probably see the signs. Uh, I, I never really casted visions. I never really uh, tried to play that out. I mean, um, uh, I, I, I knew we were going to be good. I knew I liked, um, you know, again, I lived on the offensive side of the ball. I knew, I, I knew, I liked our O line. I knew I liked our receivers. Uh, um, you know, we got uh, Joe Vaughn as a, as a JUCO transfer as a center. Uh, I did was, was tough as nails. And, uh, so, I mean, I felt good going to battle. Um, I, I don't know if I would have thought, you know, we would have run the table or were ready to beat Nebraska. And, uh, you know, at the time, whoever the top, the Oklahoma those catch, and those, cats and we weren't, um, but I thought we were good enough to compete. I, I, I did feel like we could, we could compete in the level and probably at the level at which we did. Um, but I, but I, I was never good at, um, Uh, Or really, really even looked ahead at at that. You know, I, you know, people nowadays are getting recruited as freshmen, sophomore. I didn't know I was going to play college football until my senior in high school, and and um, you know, and and, I mean, I just kind of uh, I got a different perspective in in that regard, and just kind of try to do day to day and do the best I can, and let the chips fall where they may, and trust the Lord in it.
2: Talking with Bill Whittemore here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. Ku this year with the new coaching staff didn't get spring practice with the new coaching staff how pivotal in the team's development in your development was having that spring practice and how hard do you think it would be to overcome that over the course of the season do you think that would be anything you could make up over the course of the season uh
1: i mean assuming nobody else did as well uh, I think I think obviously that, that hinders performance without a doubt I mean it hinders timing and, and um, you know again for, for a quarterback or somebody who needs to see action live to be able to uh, uh, to be able to perform on, on Saturdays is, is for sure hinders it uh, I I recall I was injured my first year in spring practice as well. So when I came in, uh I didn't go through spring practice. Uh and so I mean I think that for sure probably slowed down my progress uh in it. I will say this, guys, that I and, and I don't I don't get a a chance to watch much college football, just to be honest. I'm coaching high school football and I got three kids under eight that were running around to different fields and gyms on on Saturdays and, and don't get a lot of time to follow Kansas, but I've heard some great things. Uh um, and and I know a couple coaches who know uh, Coach when he was at uh, Whitewater, and, and everybody says phenomenal things. And from what I understand, he's very pleased with uh, the support that he's getting, and I'm I'm excited to see what he's going to do.
0: Uh, Bill, I'm kind of curious when you you know you mentioned earlier your journey kind of took you from UT Martin. You weren't even sure you were going to play college football till your senior year in high school. Um, you go from UT Martin to a junior college to Kansas. You know things are different now because social media, everything's so loud. But you know back then there wasn't social media, but you still had an inner circle of family and friends. Was there when you went from the junior college and decided you were going to go to Kansas? Who you know hadn't had uh, much success in the recent decade. Was there a little bit of hey, really you're going to Kansas? I you know I. I didn't even know, you know. I didn't even know they had a football program. Was there any kind of reaction to that, like that, uh, from your kind of your friends and your inner circle? Uh, no, not really. I mean,
1: uh, I mean to be honest, I didn't know much about Lawrence, Kansas, um, uh, and I sure didn't know about the uh, KU Missouri rival, which was which was super fun to be a part of. Um, but no, Kansas is a, a phenomenal school, and, and, and uh, anytime, um, I mean, it, there was nothing but uh support in in that run just because of you know for for me it was it was the best opportunity i had to play at the at the best level uh and so i was just super excited everywhere i went uh was similar in nature when i went to uh, a high school when i was a freshman we were 0 and 10 when we uh left we went 12 and 1 when i went to ut martin we weren't any good and and uh we were kind of getting better but there were some coaching changes that didn't really fit my my uh you know there's more triple option stuff that i didn't really want to be a part of um so i mean i went to programs that were that were that were down i I enjoy and i'm i'm at a i'm at a school that we're uh currently that we're kind of underdogs in in the in in the region as far as uh as far as desire to be really good um and i think there's a desire to be good but uh, maybe it's just not the um I don't know. I don't want to get into that, but uh, so I, I enjoyed that journey. I enjoyed the underdog role. Like that's that's kind of always been my. I don't know. I don't know if I've accidentally chosen that, or, or maybe it's just because I'm undersized and not very good. Those are the only chances I get to be at. So uh, <laughs> there,
3: there
1: was, there was never any, 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 um, you know, questions on on why you'd be going to a place like that. Kansas has a great reputation and a great school.
2: Do you have a favorite memory from your time playing with the Jayhawks?
1: Um, I mean, I, the, the, first thing, I guess, when you said that was, was probably beating Missouri, um, in 2003, uh, when they were five and zero. we were five and one, they were ranked in the top 25, I think maybe top 20, uh, beating them at home and, and uh, seeing our fans rush the field and tear down the goalpost. That was, a, that was a pretty strong one for
2: us. All right, Bill Whittemore, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam.
0: Uh, Bill, we've got a a segment called "One Last Thing," where I kind of ask an off-topic, somewhat silly question. Uh, I'll let you off with an easy one here. Do you prefer? I know you haven't had a chance to watch many games lately, but now they have the uh, Jayhawk on the helmet. When you were there, they just had the KU emblem. In in your opinion, do you prefer? Do you have an opinion one way or the other? Do you like the Jayhawk logo on the side of the helmet, or do you prefer the uh, the KU emblem?
1: Well, so if you remember, it's funny because if you remember uh, my little short two-year stint there, we were actually uh, Navy. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. That was interesting. People, yeah, so people so, here I mean, still have
0: opinions on that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> As of, I don't know if that's good or bad, but
1: um, you know, I, when I when I first saw the Jayhawk, I wasn't sure about it, but I think it I think it matches in in, uh, in what guys are looking for, and, and I, I, I did turn on. Uh, the TV last week and play a couple snaps against Duke, and I thought they looked really sharp out there. I like the J-Hawks.
2: right, that's Bill Whittemore. Bill, thank you so much for the time. I know you're a busy man, and uh, I don't know who you guys are playing on Friday night, but good luck to you in the the coaching front of things, and uh, hopefully we can see you around Lawrence sometime in the near future.
1: Gentlemen, appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out.
2: All right, that was Bill Whittemore, former KU quarterback. Led him to that bowl game against Phillip Rivers, and that would be a game that I, I don't know if he does this, but if I, you know, played against Philip Rivers in a bowl game, even though it didn't really go KU's way I, as a high school coach, like I I'd tell my kids all the time, like, yeah, I got to play against, you know, Philip Rivers, 20 year pro. I don't know if he'll end up being Hall of Fame or anything, but just kind of a cool story there. Um, and yeah, by the way, those uniforms, my wife, her KU football jersey is one of those old navy blue uniforms. Where do you sit? on the navy blue uniforms, like, dislike. I know personally with the KU logo, I prefer the KU than the Jayhawk.
0: I love those dark blue, those navy uniforms. I love those uniforms. And it's interesting because the uh, the basketball uniforms at the time were the old circus font, but the trim was a lighter blue. And, and the away uniforms were, of course, solid blue, but they were a, a, in basketball, and they were a, a lighter blue than, than the navy that the football team had. I don't know why that decision came to be, but I really and maybe it's just I have good memories because I was when KU first started making a big turnaround. I, I don't know. I love those things, though. I love the the helmets. Uh, when, you know, when it comes to logos on helmets, my biggest thing is I like to be able to clearly see what it is. I like very simple uniforms and those were those were simple, but I don't know. They're really cool.
2: Yeah, and uh, I guess the homecoming uniforms will be interesting, too. They're the light blues. They're inspired by the old, very old uniforms in early 1900s when you had that whatever K-Cross logo. So that'll be cool to see in the game against Texas Tech. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Jock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.